So we're going to turn to our Bibles at this point, uh, back to the book of Nehemiah, as we continue uh, these studies in uh, Christian revitalization and the building up of the people of God. Uh, We're now in chapter 11 and chapter 12, and we're going to take a few uh, scattered verses uh, from these chapters as, as part of our reading. So Nehemiah chapter 11 and verse 1. Now the leaders of the people lived in Jerusalem, and the rest of the people cast lots to bring one out of ten to live in Jerusalem, the holy city, while nine out of ten remained in the other towns. And the people blessed all the men who willingly offered to live in Jerusalem. These are the chiefs of the provinces who lived in Jerusalem, but in the towns of Judah, everyone lived on his property in their towns um, alone. Now, over to chapter 12 and verse 27. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres, And the sons of the singers gathered together from the district surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, also from Beth Gilgal and from the region of Geba and Asmapheth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs that gave thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went Hoshei and half of the leaders of Judah, and Azariah, Ezra, Meshulam, Judah, Benjamin, Shemai, Jeremiah, and certain of the priest's sons with trumpets." Zechariah, the son of Jonathan, son of Shemei, son of Mataniah, son of Micaiah, son of Zakur, son of Asaph, and his relatives, Shemei, Azarel, Malalai, Gilalai, Mei, Nathaniel, Judah, and Hanani, with the musical instruments of David, the man of God. And Ezra the scribe went before them. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall above the house of David, to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went up to the north, and I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall, and above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshanah, and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of the hundred to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Masai, Miniamin, Micaiah, Elanai, Zechariah, Hananiah, with trumpets, and Masai, Shemai, Eliezer, Uzai, Johonan, Malkijai, Elam, and Azar. And the singers sang with Jezrahiah as their leader, and they offered great sacrifices that day, 
and rejoiced. For God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. On that day, men were appointed over the storerooms, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather into them the portions required by the law for the priests and for the Levites, according to the fields of the towns. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and the Levites who ministered, and they performed the service of their God. Amen. May God's word uh, touch our hearts as we think about it uh, today. So, this morning we come to the next phase, if you like, in the rebuilding of this nation, these people. Jerusalem needs to be populated. The people at this stage are living in their own houses, scattered throughout the countryside. The reason for that is because up until now, Jerusalem has just been filled with rubbish and filled with rubble. And uh, there's a lack of security and fear because the gates and the walls have not been put into place. And there's no protection. But now all of this has been put up. It's all been erected. But there are very little people. It's like a ghost town. You know, the streets are silent, a bit like lockdown was Jerusalem at this particular point. Um, The leaders of the city are living there, but the majority of the people are outside in the countryside in their own villages and towns scattered round about the place. Now, the bulk of chapter 11 is a list of the leaders who are living in the city. And there are certain numbers and figures that are put there, and I, I counted them up. Couldn't find my calculator on my phone, but I managed to get them counted up. And if you, by and large, count them and round, round it all up, you come to around about only 2,500 people. We were in Balater last week. I looked up the last number of the census of Balater. 1,500 Not a big population in Jerusalem when you consider, what, nearly 300,000 people stay in Aberdeen. You know, not a lot of people were staying in the city. It needed to be populated. And so what they did was this, if you look down the first few verses, there were lots that were cast. And one out of ten won the lottery and were to live in Jerusalem. And the people applauded that. That's what they wanted to happen. Those who went up to the city to live in the city. And you can just imagine the scene. um, Packing up, you know, getting all the boxes out and uh, traveling up uh, to the city to get ensconced and settled in in their new accommodation in whatever number on the street it was in that particular part of the city of Jerusalem. They now were living there. So what was it that took them there? That's the question. Was it because they were offered better accommodation, more substantial houses, better view, greater amenities, the shops were open? Why was it that they wanted to populate the city and move from the country into Jerusalem? Well, the reason that they wanted to do it was because of what the city was going to be characterized by. And the, re- and the reason is, is found here in verse number 1. 
Because it's not just called Jerusalem. It is called the holy city. And you find that repeated down in verse number 18 as well. Not the granite city. Not the city that never sleeps. But the holy city. And the the reason it was called the holy city was because the temple of God was there. Great God of heaven. Heaven of heavens cannot contain him. And yet he had chosen in his mercy to live in that location, in the temple which symbolized his presence. And the character of the city was to take its tone from the God who lived there. And it was unique among all the towns and cities of the world at that time because God dwelt there. It was the dwelling place of God on earth. And it was called the holy city. Now that didn't mean to say that up some back street on a Saturday night, you know, some criminal activity didn't take place in Jerusalem or behind closed doors things didn't take place in Jerusalem. But there was an aspiration and there was a desire as far as the people were concerned that their city would be the holy city. Not just in name, but in quality and in character. So what is holiness? The holy city. Why was that an important part of the building up of this nation and of these people? They wanted to be where God was. And if they were to be where God was and God was holy... Well, they needed to be holy as well because that's what the Scripture says all the way through. Be holy because I am holy. And uh, holiness can be defined as as a separation from all that is error and wrong and sinful. But in addition to that, it is a separation to what is right and good and pure and best. And as we think about God, it's not separation in the sense of being disinterested and being withdrawn and not being concerned about being involved with people and all of their need. That's not the point that's being made. It's just the fact that God is all that is best and purest. And we must never associate with God any sense of contamination as far as error or deception or corruption is concerned. He is all that is best. And, and, and the people that are, are to live beside him, if he is in the center of that city, they need to be characterized by all of that as well. And this is an enduring principle. And this is the whole point of the gospel, of course, of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's the need for the gospel is that God is holier than we are. We are so flawed. We're so fallen. You know, we make so many mistakes. There is something within us that is just this this poison that that, that just infects everything. And, And we need that to be sorted. And that's where the gospel of Christ comes in. Now, it's very interesting, and you know, there's, there's a principle that's painted here that I want to draw your attention to. Because what has to be done here is that the city is purified. So here we are at the dedication. This is chapter 12 and verse 27. The dedication of the wall of the city. 
So the celebration that takes place on this day is not just because everything is finished and it's being populated. No, the celebration is because the city is being dedicated. The walls are being dedicated. And the way that is described is it's a moment of purification that is going to take place. And so it carries with it this sense of holiness as far as the people are concerned. And uh, you can see that as it's described at the, the dedication of the temple. And look at now uh, of the walls. And if you look at verse 30, it says that the priests and the Levites, they purified themselves and they purified the people and the gates and the walls. How do you do that? I mean, how did they do that then? How did they purify themselves? Well, there's a very helpful reference, actually, which um, you should probably turn to in Hebrews chapter 9, which, which gives us insight into how these things were done at the time. And this, this particular one has to do with, with Moses, who did something very similar. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 19, where it says about Moses that he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop plant, and he sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this describes his, Moses' purification of the tabernacle. And the, the same process was used here in the purification of the people and of the walls of Jerusalem. So you can just imagine Nehemiah and the priests on that particular day going through this same thing, animal sacrifice, water and blood with the, the wool and the hyssop walking round about the walls and sprinkling the blood on the, on, on, on the pavements and the walls and the, the gates and the people as well. And that represented and that symbolized purification because without the shedding of blood, there could be no purification, there could be no forgiveness for sin. Now, if you were to read down further in Hebrews chapter 9, there, there, there's a further point to the argument. These things that took place, in a sense, were symbolic. They were pictures to help us understand a greater spiritual reality that finds its fulfillment in the death of Christ, whose blood was shed. When he died and that spear pierced his side, out with came blood and water. Water symbolizing cleansing. Blood symbolizing atonement. Purification available. Not just for bits of furniture or walls or gates, but for the hearts and souls of human beings that need holiness, purity, cleansing. 
And so our attention, just as these people had their attention taken to the importance of of sacrifice for purity and holiness to make them the holy city, this morning, a key element in building our hearts up is the fact that we are drawn to Christ's death upon the cross. And we visualize in our hearts Calvary this morning, the death of the Son of God who came to earth to provide holiness and cleansing through His sacrifice. And in a sense, we have to apply that cleansing blood to our hearts, our own hearts. And that's the message that we take as far as the gospel to our world today, the application to people's lives of the merits of Christ's blood. You know, the whole old hymn says, you know, would you be free from your burden of sin? There, there is power in the blood. Now, that seems outrageous to people in, in general. It seems so out, outmoded, so old-fashioned. And yet it is the heart of the Bible's message. Holiness, the holy city, purified by blood. Now, there is a second point uh, that I want to make. And the second point is this, that that purity led to joy. It led to joy. Um, This great picture that's painted for us of the two choirs on the wall. One is led by Ezra the scribe, and one is followed by, by Nehemiah, who is the writer of the book and who is the governor of the city. One goes uh, to the south, uh, one goes uh, to the north, and they meet as they go around the city, and you've got all the interesting names of the different gates of the city that are there, and uh, they meet uh, at the house of God, verse number 40. Both of the choirs who gave thanks stood in the house of God. And there's this wonderful occasion of joy that takes place. It says the women and the children are all part of that. And the joy, the rejoicing of Jerusalem uh, was heard far away. Now, it's not just the fact that these points take place in you know, chronological sequence. There is a principle that is being established here, and it's this, that holiness and purity, it leads to joy. One follows the other. I mean, that, that's a spiritual law. It's a spiritual life. I mean, for many people, you know, the whole idea of holiness, I mean, that word is just never used today. And if it is used, it's got kind of connotations of something that's rigid, of something that's severe, of th- something that's, that's heavy. And uh, it's not at all a joyful thing. It's something that has to be endured. But that is not the sense. That, that word has been hijacked. The sense of that word holiness has to do with the, the greatness and transcendence and the purity of God. And how when people are cleansed from their sins, and that, that sense of, of guilt, and that sense of real um, concern 
and worry over how our lives have gone and the things that we've done and how we've fallen short, when, when we know that that has been washed and that has been renewed, then, then that produces joy. It, it can't but produce a sense of joy in your heart. Joy unspeakable and full of glory, as Peter puts it. Despite your persecution and your suffering in the first century at the hand of Nero and others, you know, you're receiving the goal of your faith, which is the salvation of your souls. And that's why you can rejoice, he says, in this kind of way. And so there's joy that comes. We thought about this a few weeks ago, didn't we? You know, joy in the presence of heaven over sinners who repent. You know, each day the sun comes up for us and and the angels look down the, not the obituary column, but the conversion column of heaven's newspaper, if you like. You know, there is rejoicing when they see the names of people who have repented and who've come to personal faith in Christ. And if there's joy in heaven, you know, there should be joy in our hearts. Don't rejoice because the demons are subject to you in my name. Remember that one? But rejoice rather that your names are written in heaven. God has a record. He knows those who are his. My name is there, and it's never going to be erased. And I can rejoice in that, because I've been saved by the grace of God, and I have been cleansed and purified. And so, you know, there is joy. There was great joy. And that joy came from the holiness. One led to the other. And then, there is a third thing as well. The third thing in closing is the idea of service. These are the three things that characterize the city on this day. And again, this follows in sequence. Because of the joy that they had, they didn't keep themselves as a closed book. They didn't just keep it all to themselves. They began to serve others. And they had the, the benefit and the, and the blessing of other people in their minds. And so you have this description down at verse 44 that on that very day, they appointed people to serve God. Verse 45, they performed the service of their God. And the service of God, uh, what it involved was, you know, putting people over some of the storerooms, getting some of the, the, the singers in place, uh, people to take in the tithes. All of this was to help the service of the house of God. It's quite interesting. If you you know, look through the passage again, you'll find that there was part of the country, the countryside, where all the singers actually had congregated. And so there were certain villages that were the, the villages of the singers. You know, also talks about villages where all the craftsmen had kind of set up, uh, but they had, there was a kind of musician's village or two. And they were all brought up now. They were all catered for. Everything was put in place. They could be provided for. There was enough there, you know, so that it was, they could make their time worthwhile. Uh, they didn't have to worry about the monetary side of things. All that was taking place for. They were served. They were served 
so that they, they themselves could be involved in the worship of God and the temple service could expand and flourish and continue and prosper. Service. And so for us today, we think about some of these key elements that are involved in individuals' lives as the people of God, but also as far as the life of the church. And these three things, I think, are some of these components. I think we should try and reflect on them. I think we should try and, and take them into this coming week and to respond uh, to these three points. Wanting to be near to God, the holy God. Wanting to live with Him. Having my focus on being near to him. Living in proximity to him. Now, they did that physically, of course. But, but it's a, in a spiritual sense that, that we have to strive for that. You know, we've got other examples of this throughout the scriptures. You think of, uh, of Jacob. Jacob who was running away and he lies down for the night and he has that vision and he sees God at the top of the staircase and he wakens up in the morning and he said this is this has been an awesome place and I didn't even know that and he calls that place as he builds his altar the next day he calls it Bethel the house of God the house of God and he returned to that in later days to that key point the house of of God. He wanted to be there. That was a central pillar in the life of Jacob. In the days of Christ himself, John the Baptist, his forerunner, had pointed him out as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And as he pointed, two of John's disciples saw where he was pointing, and they went up to Christ and said, Teacher, where do you live? Where do you live? And he said, Come and see. And, and, they, and they went and they lived with him and they followed him as their teacher and their rabbi. It's to, to live with him. It is to be with him, to be in the house of God, the holy city, if you like. Now, final thing before we finish. If you turn to the book of Hebrews again, you'll see that this language is used in a spiritual sense. Not just in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. And this is why it's so, it's so applicable for us. If you look down at verse 22 of Hebrews 12, he says, this is what you people have come to. You know? You have come to Mount Zion. You have come to the city of the living God. The heavenly Jerusalem. He contrasts that with Mount Sinai, where the ancient people came and they were terrified. But he said, you've not come to that. You've come to the city of the living God. And, and there's so much that is part and parcel of being a citizen of that city, spiritually speaking. And he lists them all. The one I'm just going to draw your attention to is the one in verse number 24. He says, and in coming to that city in a spiritual sense... You come to Jesus. You come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant. 
And this idea of blood is mentioned again. To the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. And so the question for us is, are we in the city of God? Are we in the holy city in a spiritual sense? Have we come to Jesus with an awareness as we come to him of his sprinkled blood? The value of his sprinkled blood that speaks well. What does it speak to us about? Well, Abel was, was murdered, of course, by his brother Cain. And it said about his murder that the blood of Abel, it, it's, it's speaking from the ground. And it spoke of wrongdoing. It spoke of a crime. Spoke about murder. Spoke for justice. Spoke for vengeance. Christ's blood speaks a better message than that. It doesn't speak about these things. It speaks about cleansing. The blood of Christ speaks about holiness that can be obtained and about the forgiveness of our sins. And, and we come to that as we come to the holy city, the spiritual city of Jerusalem. So are we citizens? And are these things that characterize us? We're going to have a song sung for us about the holy city at the end. And one of the, the great lines of it goes like this. It says, solid joys and lasting treasures, none but Zion's children know. The citizens of the city, those who populated the city, Solid joy, lasting treasure, none but Zion's children know. May God help us today, you know, to just recapture these key elements, these key points that characterize the ancient people of God and take them into our lives and our weeks uh, this week that we enter into. Now shall we pray. Lord, thank you for these messages. Thank you for these principles. Thank you for learning about your holiness and the need for our purification and the gospel of Christ with, with, with at its center his death and his shed blood upon the cross of Calvary. Lord, help us to take all of these things as the foundations of, of, of our lives and of the, the life and the purpose of this church of ours. And we ask a blessing upon your people Encourage our hearts, give us a sense of joy in our salvation, and help us to serve out of full hearts for the benefit of others, as we pray in Christ's name. Amen.